Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 730 for May 28th, 2022. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with a light version of the show. This is not a programming by stealth, but we're going to get into some fun stuff anyway. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just grand. Um, it is summer today. <laughs> Maybe all of it for the year, but it was 20 <laughs> degrees and the sun was out. So, yay. There you go. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about security because basically, I don't know if listeners have noticed, but whatever's on my brain is what tends to end up in these shows. <laughs> and um, I actually don't mind mentioning it on air, but the, uh, uh, an opportunity for a, I guess, a promotion sideways. I don't know. A new job has been advertised that I want, uh, and it's about security. So I've been thinking about security for the last week and a half. So my brain is full of security. So I thought I'd share. <laughs> I think that sounds great. So this is going to be more philosophical, really, right? Right, because it's sort of the, the honest answer to any... Like if someone asks you a detailed security question, the honest answer always starts off with the same two words. It depends. <laughs> right? Because your your specific situation really changes... Like you're always balancing things against each other. So your specifics aren't like a side, you know, an afterthought. Your specifics are kind of central to how you balance things. And there's also the fact that everything changes all the time. So, you know, security advice has about the same shelf life as a fish. <laughs> Very bloody little. <laughs> so I didn't think there was much point in saying, here are about 12 magic points and you will never be insecure again. A, I'll be wrong. And B, they'll be irrelevant. And C, they'll be at a date tomorrow. So it's just like pointless. So what I thought I'd do instead is talk about thinking about security. Okay. Because that that's evergreen. The answer you come up with will be forever changing, but the thinking should be, you know, it'll improve and get better, but the thinking is nonetheless a skill that you could take with you, that stays with you. Um, and as I like to say, there's a million right ways to go about this. So this isn't like the way to think about security. This is how I think about it. And so far, it's worked out okay. So, you know, take it for what it's worth, merge it into your own thinking and, you know, see where so, we go. So is this advice you're going to give us for uh, home users, for sysadmins, for people who take care of their friends and family? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So it's going to be a little bit all over the map, not just for one group. Well, yeah, because at the end of the day... Those three groups, right? What changes between the groups is the specific weightings you give things, right? So how much danger are you in from a specific threat depends on who you are and where you are, but the threat hasn't really changed. And you're going to weigh that against the inconvenience of doing something to counteract the threat. Okay. And so if you're advising the CEO of a company making nuclear something or others... You're going to say, well, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to put up with an awful lot of inconvenience. If you're advising your family members who are going to moan and whine at you <laughs> every time they're inconvenienced, and they're not really in that much danger in the first place, you're probably going to give different advice. Right, right. But the thinking is the same. You're just balancing. The numbers have different weights. But you're still going to go, you know, you're going to balance them against each other and do the right thing for them. Interestingly enough, I think both groups are actually in the same position in how they re respond to you. So you can tell uh, your brother 
what he should do about a certain security situation, but it is up to him to accept the liability for whether he takes your advice. It turns out the same is actually true of the CEO. The CEO can make the decision to go against your advice and they're the because they're the ones who are liable. The 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 buck stops there. Now they might still fire yeah. the security person just because they're petty and didn't understand that it was their own fault. They didn't pay attention, but they are the ones who are responsible. So they're the ones who can make the decision. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll talk a bit about that later on because it, it's actually you really can't make people do security. <laughs> you can enable, encourage, you can help but you actually can't make people. Because if you try, what they're going to do is stick to the absolute letter of the thing you've forced on them, right? You've seen this where you force people to change their password every week mm-hmm. and then they start flip-flopping between two. So you make it remember three. So then they suddenly, oh, okay, can't do two, I'll do four. And then you say, oh God, I'll make it 10. So then they start sticking the name of the month on the end of the password. What have you achieved? You've made them cranky and you've achieved nothing. Yeah. I think one of the things you can do by the education that you're going to be talking about here is just, it, it's sort of like immersion, uh, that immersion in a language, you start to, it starts to sink in eventually. If you're bringing it up often yeah. enough, eventually they start, you hear them repeating things you've said. But, you know, six months ago, they would have yelled at you for even talking to them about it. But pretty soon it starts to, it starts to stick, I think. It does. I think one of the happiest moments in my life is when my mum rang me and said, so I got a phone call from Microsoft. And I was like, oh, God. She said, so I hung up on them because it was very obviously a scam, just like you said would happen. Yay! Oh, that must have been great. She was probably so pleased. She was delighted. I was delighted. And the scammers went home broke. Win! <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so, that, you know, the idea here is to have fun and to talk about it and hopefully that some... I always think of the the example from your dad about the wine bottle and the funnel. You know, most of it will miss, but hey, so what? If it, anything goes in, win. Yeah, Don't yeah. We have fun along point. the way. Yeah, yeah. So I think the first thing to say is you need to keep your eyes and your ears open and react. Um, if you wait until it becomes really bloody obvious, it's too late. Right. So if you're going to be the person who cares about security for your family or because you work in IT or because you are a nerd and you just sort of live here, then you do need to actually keep an eye out. If you, you know, if you hear it on the the normal person's news, it's too late. If you Hmm. hear about it because your employee up the corridor is shouting, oh, my God, my files, they're gone, they're gone, they're all gone. Too late. So what do you do about that? I would say find one security news website that's at the right level for you and stick it either as an RSS feed or stick it into subscribe to the mailing list or like big news will be on everything. So just be on one that sets the right tone. If you like snarky, go with the register. If you find snark obnoxious, maybe go with Ars Technica's security stream. Uh, what I about really security like... bits with Bart Bouchat? Or that. You were setting me up, weren't you? <laughs> well, no, that's exactly how I get mine. <laughs> that's true. It does sort of come to you, doesn't it? Yeah. Right, right. I've got <laughs> This is my feed right here. 
Yeah, it's true. It's in your calendar. Every two weeks, half past six, Bart's time, Bart comes and tells you the security news. <laughs> I guess the uh, the uh, one problem with that is I only know what's going on every two weeks. True. So I, one I'd like to recommend to people, actually, if you're going to pick one, I think Naked Security from Sophos is probably the best balance between playful, but not not ridiculous clickbait like the register tends to be i mean the register if you read it with the appropriate level of snark it can be funny but i it grates me so much whereas i think naked security strikes the balance right and they're very very good about spending like at least three paragraphs for context they don't assume that you know all the stuff. Ah, They'll give nice. it to you again and again and again, which is perfect because you can jump into any article and you will get the context. Now, I tend to scroll the first four paragraphs and then start reading, <laughs> but that's fine because I, I have a scroll bar. It works perfectly. So I, I really like their, their way of doing things. Um, so if you read stuff, there is a trap because we humans, I believe, I believe there's actually a name for it, but I'm not sure about it, so I didn't put it in the show notes. But I think it's called a recency bias. Whenever we hear about something, we think that's what's wrong. So if you hear that if you get a slight twinge in your left arm, it means you're having a heart attack, and then you mow the lawn for the first time in five years, and you lift heavy weights, and then you get a slight twinge in your arm, it's not because you've exercised muscles you've never used. It's because you're having a heart attack. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, and that sort of feeds into another danger, which I think is best expressed in the amazing British sitcom series called uh, Yes Minister, which is from the 80s and is shockingly, shockingly relevant. They have an episode from the 1980s about computer surveillance. And it's the privacy concerns and stuff are still spot on. With one of the big points being, if you want this done right, you should probably build the safeguards at the same time as the system and not as an afterthought. And they were saying that in the 80s. So credit wow. to them. But uh, in one of the early episodes, the two civil servants, or public servants, I think you guys call them, are having a very snobby coffee together. And they're gossiping about their minister. Um, and one of them says, to the other, oh, he's suffering from politicians' logic. And the other one turns around and says, ah, yes, something must be done. This is something, therefore we must do it. I have just heard about this cool tool. Something's happening, therefore I need this cool tool. Well, no, just because you heard about the thing most recently doesn't mean that's what you need. Do the right thing, not the thing that you've heard about most recently or the thing that just happens to leap to mind. Right? You know, it's. I see this a lot where something is the hip thing du jour, and all of a sudden it is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Only it isn't. And it results in a lot of very bad things. And it very often results in me sending emails along the lines of, no, that's not what it's for. Yeah. It makes me a little bit cranky. So what would so be just, an example in the in the security world, world of the, the new coolness and a problem and trying to shove it into that, uh, into that hole? I, you may have just, gotten some sort of new AV or something, you're going to start trying to write some sort of rule to make it do something it wasn't really designed to do. 
or you might try to use a password manager to store information that isn't actually security information. But look, it's a place to store things, so therefore we should put stuff here. It's, I mean, it will really vary. Another way it can manifest itself is if there's news about a particular new attack, like someone's just come up with a very complicated new zero-day attack that uses, you know, speakers to bridge air gaps, and then someone will just see something strange. Oh, my PC did something funny. I must have that terrible new malware that's just doing the rounds. <laughs> so that that's back to you. were just uh, scrolling through WebMD and you've decided you you have malaria. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and it's a really human thing because we pattern match. And oh, whatever right, pattern right. is the most recent in your brain has this habit of locking on. And so as long as you're aware of that, no problem. You can address it by, you know, just and it's probably okay to, it. to scroll through your your mental uh, file of all the different tools you have to see whether any of them match with what the problem is. But you should be right, thinking exactly. about it, you, you're not going to use a password manager to solve the problem of using free dodgy Wi-Fi uh, in a in a uh, coffee shop. Or I guess probably one of the best examples would be I've just installed this AV, therefore I can go surf the web with gay abandon and not worry. No. <laughs> No, it's don't do that. That will not end well. Okay. And another another thing that I think is very, very, very important to remember, because it's, it, it also conveniently is at the very last sentence in the clip on YouTube. Um, Humphrey ends his little rant by saying, and doing anything is worse than doing nothing. And that's just so many shades of wrong. Um, and I'd sort of underline, in fact, if you watch the show in context, Sir Humphrey is charming and you like him despite the fact that he's an obstructionist a-hole. <laughs> so it's it, particularly in security, but in a lot of things in life, we tend to have this notion that if we do nothing, we take on no risk. Everything you do has some risk, right? If I change a setting, well, what if it's doing something I didn't know it was doing? If I install some software, what if it conflicts with something else I already have? If I upgrade this thing, what if it introduces a new book? Literally, nothing you do is zero risk because you're doing something. And it's very easy to assume then that doing nothing is no risk. But in the world of security, doing nothing is possibly the single riskiest thing you can do. Well, it would only be no risk if if all of the bad actors did nothing. Yeah, if the world didn't change. Right, right. If you lived in a static universe, then that would remain true. But of course, the world changes around you. And so the status quo suddenly becomes terrible and you actually have to do something. And if you're just thinking in terms of protecting yourself and your family, you just have to remember that and then make an appropriate choice. But in the workplace, you're very often having to justify or request approval for a change and it's very easy to forget to start in bold writing at the very start of your proposal slash request for approval with the danger of not acting and then go on to list your possible solutions and their relative risks but start by hammering home the point that doing nothing is really dangerous and that immediately shifts the conversation in the reader's mind from, ooh, should we do anything, to which of these should we do? 
Oh, I like that. I like that. So if if you're talking to the CEO about trying to harden a system to prevent a malware attack, you start your conversation with this is how much ransomware or how much ransom you could potentially be uh, have to pay in order to recover these uh, these systems or these whatever the ramifications are. Maybe yeah. it's the hospital shuts down. Whatever those ramifications yeah. are, you start there and say, now let's figure out how to make that not happen. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Because the, I mean, the exact doing, you know, the different doing nothings will have different risks, but the risk is very often very extreme. And right. if you don't lay that out first, the whole conversation is focused on the wrong thing, which is something versus nothing, whereas it's actually option A versus option B versus option C. In a family example, then it would be, um, so do you like that 401k you've been building up uh, as you've been working for the last 20 years? Are you fond of that? Here's what, here's what we can do to make sure somebody doesn't take that from you. Yeah, so it becomes about which two-factor auth do we enable, not do we enable two-factor auth. Right, 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 right. Uh, and then the other very important thing to remember, which is uh, something that I will sort of, I have always in my mind called Schneier's Law because Bruce Schneier sort of made the sentence famous, but it's basically That's attacks. Schneier, Schneier on security? That's the Bruce Schneier? That is indeed the Bruce Schneier. Okay. And that is his very long running blog. Schneier on security has been around a long time. It's good though. He also gave us the, th the term security theater, which became very popular shortly oh, after 9-11. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the other things he said is that attacks always get better. And it's because the bad guys don't forget things. They don't suddenly forget how to exploit a vulnerability, but they do get better at it. So if you read a headline about a new attack, that's not how bad it's going to get. That's the baseline. It gets worse from here. <laughs> and so if you're design if you're reacting and the baseline is like ah, that's just about tolerable it's going to get worse err on the side of doing more because wait and you'll need to do more right it it only goes one way it's a ratchet things always get worse and they're probably going to get worse quicker and worse than you think so err on the side of doing more would an example be if there was a vulnerability and they said this only applies to older machines, you should yeah, assume that yeah. it eventually could apply to you? Or we, we tend to see this a lot where they, you know, initially they will find that if you have this particular version of the software and they have eight hours, they can get the key out of RAM. Okay. And you look at yourself and you go, yeah, actually we're a slightly newer version and we rotate our keys every two hours, we're fine. And the next week you hear that they can now get through all the keys in 30 seconds. Oh, shoot. Okay, I guess I should have applied that software bug update last week. Another um, example might be if, like, I remember when the, um, oh, shoot, what is the predictive thing in, chip, in chips called? Uh, you've literally just, that was pretty much exactly where I was going to go. So the first time we talked wait, about the... let me do it, let me do it. What is it okay. called though? What is it, what is the phrase? I'm missing it. The, Intel had the uh, the way it calculates a bunch of different scenarios, and then and then a bunch of them are wrong, but it's got the right answer ready for you. And then it's speculative execution, speculative execution. Is the broad class. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So that was only on Intel, and AMD was furiously checking to see. Uh oh, 
Because we do that too, and pretty soon it came out that it was then effective on, on attacking their chips as well. And just last week, a type of speculative execution attack was found on the Mac. Right. And at the moment, so two weeks, yeah, two weeks ago when we were talking, we said that at the moment there are no attacks against the problem found in the M1. But I phrased it as at the moment. Right. And when the Intel stuff came out, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And when the Intel stuff came out, what I said was, there's no need for us to worry, at least not yet. And if that changes, I'll let you know. And the right. reason I said that was because I am very fond of Bruce Schneier and I have been thinking about Schneier's all the time. So I tend to say to you, this, for now, don't worry about it. But I might get back to you. <laughs> and, and we'll be able to say, I told you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does, make, it does also make it an easier conversation. It, with a work environment, there are, res- like you have a finite amount of resources. So... It is also okay to to say to a manager, look, for now, we're okay, but I don't think it'll stay that way. So we should prepare ourselves for, and then you lay out plan B, which is we're going to have to upgrade the thingamabob or we're going to have to change our setting, which is going to have this much of an effect on our users. They're not going to be able to do this anymore or whatever. And then when it happens, you're not starting from scratch. You're also not starting by saying that, I'm sorry, I was wrong, but you're starting with, so that thing I told you might happen. That's happened. So I think we should go with my suggestion, which was... That's a much easier conversation to have. Okay. Okay, got it. And you're you're also not undermining future you. Because if you make a strong statement about how, don't worry, this doesn't affect us, we're fine. (laughs) Well, future you has just been thrown under the bus. Because future you is going to have to go back to management cap in hand and go, yeah, that thing I said was wrong. Well, and you also don't want to be like this drip, drip, drip of uh, revealing problems, right? Mm. Yeah, you you want people to have confidence that you you know you're basically you're, you're giving realistic expectations. It's like, right. We're good for now, and it might stay good, but it might not. And here's what would happen if it did go wrong. And you'll be sure to hear from me. Yeah. And also the fact that you've already thought about what you will do when it gets worse means that if it gets worse, you're not scrambling around panicking because you've already been there mentally and you're ready to go, which is definitely a better way to be. Right, right. Okay. Uh, So up until now, we've very much been talking about reacting to things. But really, if you have the luxury of time... You're always better off to do some preparing if you can. Now, you can be the most prepared person on planet Earth. And because of how security is, you literally don't know what you don't know. Things will happen that you didn't know about and you couldn't have prepared for. So you will always have to do some amount of reacting. There is no one who works in IT who doesn't have to react to things. Always going to happen. But you can make it so that you have to react less. Or most of the time you have to react less dramatically because you have better stuff in place. And if you're really on the ball and you have the luxury of all of the resources you need, it can very often be the case that your reaction is simply a double check. So you get the word that there's an attack in the wild targeting companies like you that make widgets and it's exploiting a vulnerability Microsoft patched a month and a half ago. Well, you said to yourself, okay, so our patching schedule is every two weeks our servers all reboot themselves and get the latest updates. Therefore, I should be fine. 
Let me check. Yes, I'm fine. That's a reaction that didn't take much time or effort. That's great. If your patch policy is, I'll patch it when I get a chance, <laughs> you are going to be scrambling. You're suddenly going to go, oh my God, we have 54 servers running Windows 2008 and they all <laughs> have to be patched now. Yikes. Set I def- up the bad I signal. Did, I distinctly remember when my, um, my sysadmin team came to me and said, we need you to have our backs. We're going to change our patching policy. And back then, I think it was like every 90 days they wanted to, to mm. they wanted to shut the servers down and reboot them for patching. And uh, they said, we need you to have our backs with the customers and tell them that they don't have a choice about this. And they had to convince me, and they did. And uh, we still had areas that refused. And it's like, okay, sign here. <laughs> that when this yeah. goes in the pooper, this is your problem. <laughs> it would still ends up being our problem, of course, but. Yeah, but nonetheless, it, it it's different when people have had to sign on the dotted line. It blunts their shouting. Yeah, blunts. They're still shouting. <laughs> They're still shouting, but it is blunted. Um, so you know, if you can, try to be prepared. And this is what is one of those rare pieces of good news. Because you probably think that the most effective things you can do are also the most work, Right. You, in order to get great effect, you must put in great pain, right? That's certainly how it is with making a six-pack. You know, yeah, the better your six-pack, the more work you have to put in. But, oh, you don't mean beer. No, actually, I don't. No, <laughs> you I mean the, the um, muscle, the stomach six-pack. <laughs> I, I did, actually, yeah. <laughs> you see, it's or, not you know, that much work to do the other one. <laughs> true. And they, they counteract each other quite dramatically. Uh, more beer equals less six-pack. Anyway, um... The nice thing is that security is the inverse. So you'll often see it described on people's slides as the inverted pyramid of pain, which is just a cool name. But basically, attacks follow what physicists love to call the power law, which means that high probability events, are stuff in the middle of the distribution happens a lot, and stuff at the two edges happens very little. So we the long tail. And so... What this means for us is that the attacks that are easy to defend against are also the most common. So if you just do the little things, you've blunted the vast majority of the stuff that's likely to attack you. You have, you know, you can't stop the zero day that five people on planet Earth know about. But the chances of you getting hit by it are also really, really small. So don't waste your time on that, you know. Make sure that you actually have the firewall turned on on all your servers. And for sure home you... users, it'd be something like, just don't use the same password everywhere. Right away, you're ahead of right. almost everybody. Yeah, absolutely, right? That, so the, it's really nice that you get the most bang for your book by doing the simple things. And then when you've all the simple things done, you can start to do the more complicated things to keep getting value. But you actually get real traction by just doing the easy stuff. Stay patched so you stay secure. Use a password manager. Just the little things make a big difference. And that's so pleasing because in so much of life, it's the other way around. You have to go through lots and lots of pain to get anywhere. Whereas here, it's just do the little things and you'll be a lot better off, which is fantastic. Right, right. It's not like you have to get rid of chocolate in your diet. 
It's not something as drastic as that. It can exactly. be the little stuff. My friend Diane, while we were uh, just while we've been working, I just got a message popped up. It was a screenshot of the update to uh, iOS 15 that just came out a couple of days ago on her phone, and she wrote yes with a thumbs up, and I wrote back yes. That was it, because she's been listening. Perfect. And that's a great, actually, that's a really good thing to do. You know, just just check in with a with your friendly neighborhood sysadmin. You know, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners are a VAT to the rest of their family. Right, right. Um, Don't you have another uh, word for it? Your your in-house nerdlet or something like that. Um, I just call myself family IT support. But okay, no, you had a you had a funnier phrase for it. It'll come back Did to I? me later. Yeah, just something. something well, will you remind me because I want to no, remember po- it again I know, too. It was pocket nerd. Pocket nerd. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm lots of people's pocket nerd. <laughs> but it's I fun have a tech when they question. Listen. I'll ask Bart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing is the inverted pyramid of pain means that actually doing the little things really does make a big difference, which is great. Uh, but if you're going to be doing little things, what are the little things that help the most? Well, the answer is anything that minimizes your exposure, which hmm. we call minimizing your attack surface, if you want to get all fancy. Well, basically... If the bad guys can't see it, they can't hurt it. So it's not if you don't see it, it's not a problem if it's they don't see it. So basically the digital equivalent of duck and cover, right? If you don't need something, don't install it. If you stop using it, remove it. If you test five things, when you've picked one, delete the other four. You mean exactly like the VPNs I installed yesterday? I installed four VPNs, I should get rid of all but one. (laughs) But once you've finished evaluating them, yeah. Right, right. It's so easy to forget. So easy to forget. That's why a clean install is good, by the way. It it is actually. That's a real, you know, all of the things I've forgotten are now irrelevant because I'm starting over. I mean, another classic one is if you don't, if you're a small business and you literally host no servers on your own network, well, then your router should just block all inbound connections. Just Block everything, because you're not hosting anything, so just don't let anything into your network. Everything out, nothing in. Which, thankfully, is the default on most routers these days, which is nice. If you're only serving web pages from a server sitting in your small office, or even in your home, in the case of some of our listeners, block everything apart from the ports for the web server. AD and 443, everything else, sod off. If you're running a small business or whatever, there's a really good chance that you're actually serving out all of your... Actually, this isn't so much small business. You're up to medium business now. But if you have a bunch of different web apps, say, you know, one app that does your your help desk, another app that powers your FAQ, the chances are you're delivering them all through one sort of unifying server that makes them all look like one website. The, the fancy pants word is an ADC, an application delivery controller, oh. or a reverse proxy. Um, but it's basically one web server that doesn't do anything apart from ask all the other web servers what the answer is. And so if they're looking for forward slash chat, they go to that guy. And if they're looking for forward slash support, they go to that guy. And if they're looking for forward slash control panel, they go to the other guy. Okay. Uh, but what that means is that those backend servers, they should not be exposed to the internet because they're supposed to be talked to through the ADC. Ah, okay. So... Only let the ADC out of your network and block every other IP address. Let the ADC do its job and serve out the stuff and just block everything else from inbound connections. And therefore, if there is a nasty, you know, if there's a problem with the web part of those servers, then that's going to be exposed through the ADC. But if there's a problem with printing, 
say, the Prince Booter of Death problems we've been having lately, well, that's all blocked because you've blocked the servers from direct access, right? The only thing that's exposed on them is indirectly exposed, and it's the one thing they actually do, which is be a web server. Okay. Uh, a web server has got to be a web server, but you've minimized the attack surface. Right. If all of your th- mail servers for sending servers are somewhere in the cloud, they're someone else's server, then it's probably a really good idea to configure your firewall to block outbound SMTP traffic because that's almost certainly malware spamming half the planet <laughs> and ruining your reputation on block lists all around the world. Right. Um, if you have multiple logical groups of things, group them into separate networks with firewalls between them. And this even applies to home users, right? You and I have talked a lot about a Y-shaped configuration. That's a perfect example of uh, minimizing your attack surface because you've put all of the weirdo IoT stuff into one network where it can kill it. You know, they can all kill each other. And the stuff you care about is sitting on another network entirely segregated away from it and nice and safe. So you've minimized your attack surface. If you just mush them all into the one network, then all of your stuff you care about is exposed to all of those things you're a bit suspicious of. I have to admit that that's been less successful than I would like to tell you. It's uh, there, there have been a lot of examples of, of companies that I would prefer to have start, or I'll start out with them on their separate network, on the guest network, but then things start to fall apart, like uh, my Nest thermostat uh, and, and uh, CO sensor. It's a great little device, but they talk to each other. And if they're on my guest network, my guest network keeps them isolated so they can't hurt each other. And so I right, can't have it not, on my guest network. Right, but we didn't suggest the guest network because the guest network can't be used for peer-to-peer communication. We suggested having two routers with a separate IoT network. Right, that was seven uh, routers ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't changed my advice since. And the reason I don't ever advise people use a guest network for their IoT is because a guest network is designed to stop chatter within the network, which is not a good idea for IoT that is trying to chatter to each other. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't It doesn't really work, but it just, it just always kept running into problems. So there's very few things that I have that I think the wise cams, I still have, they're, they're being punished. So they sit over on the guest network. Even if you just use the guest network for guests, you're still yeah. better off. You still, you still cut down your attack surface. I make the kids, when they bring their work PCs into the house, I make them go on the guest network. <laughs> Darn tootin'. Yeah. And I think corporate IT are happy that you do too. Because from yep. their point of view, you're the evil weird person. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. So basically, you know, don't expose things that don't need to expose. Don't install things that no, don't need to be installed. Don't open things that don't need to be opened. Just don't make yourself a bigger target than you need to be. If there's a lightning storm, don't stand out and point in the air. Crouch. <laughs> You've talked about that with respect to running a, a WordPress installation. Don't just install every cute plugin you find. Uh, you know, try to try to minimize it, make as few as you possibly can. Do you really need that? And it's pretty easy yeah. to once in a while go through and go, you know, let me just review these. Usually because something's gone wonky. And I start turning yeah. them off and on again, and then I realize I don't even know what that one was doing. I think I can probably get rid of it. Yeah. And it's also fine to realize you have a problem to solve, install five things, give them a month, and just remember after the month to pick one. Yeah, yeah. I think that's... Another very important principle 
And this is one of those, you aim for this principle, you are guaranteed to miss, but the act of aiming for it will make you better off. I think of it like inbox zero. It's a fantastic idea. I have never been at inbox zero. (laughs) I just moved all of my email from one mail server to another, which meant that for about two minutes, I was actually at inbox zero because I went control A and I dragged and dropped. And then two minutes later, I was not at inbox zero anymore. <laughs> I remember I, I saw the bottom of my email at work once and I screamed. Oh my God. Because I only had like eight emails. And I, went, ah! and I, I, I was reaching for the help desk thing, to phone number. Broken. When I realized it was because I had read my email. <laughs> I hadn't wow. seen the bottom in like three years. <laughs> I've never seen the bottom. <laughs> I've recently discovered that you can ask mail that app to sort by unread, which is actually a good way not to forget to get back to oh, people you've been meaning. You've never back seen to. that before. That's that's actually how you know they say don't make your email your to do list. My email is my to do list. I, I mark things as unread and hopefully remember to go back and read them. Yeah, the problem I have is that some of them are scrolled off the bottom, but now that I sort by unread, the stuff right. I've oh, been exactly. ignoring. Yeah, that's exactly how I use it. Yeah. I only recently discovered I could make them all bubble up to the top. <laughs> it works on the phone, too. And disadvantages. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the thing that's like Inbox Zero, a wonderful target, but you know you'll miss, but you should still aim for it, is called the principle of least privilege. So there's no, no one wrote down an official wording, but the gist of it is always the same. Everyone and everything should have all the privileges needed, you know, Everything, all the privileges it needs to do its thing and no more. Hmm. And you're always going to end up giving it a little bit more because otherwise you're going to be forever having to chop and change and tweak and tune and it's just going to be hassle. But every little bit of granularity you succeed in getting in makes you better off. What would be an example for a home user of this is not giving people admin privileges? That'll be a very easy one is don't is don't give people admin privileges. So then every time they want to install an app, they need to log out of one account and log into a different account. And that Blech. becomes cumbersome quickly. Right. So you're not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> but you. having said that, I don't, I run as an admin, but my family don't because they don't do that kind of stuff. I do that when I'm home. So they don't run as an admin, but I do. So that's closer to the principle of these privileges. Interesting. I, I've never... I tried for about eight minutes to run as not an admin just to see what it was was like, and it was a disaster for me. But I suppose, yeah, you know, I, I was you're the pocket with, nerd, right? Right. I was helping my friend Melanie uh, set up a new Mac, and I said, "Well, let's go to the Mac App Store first and download all your apps." She had four, three of them. <laughs> that took a while. <laughs> three, no, no, I didn't even install those because three of them were like GarageBand 08 and uh, iPhoto, and I forget what else, but she literally had none to download. No, no, she had WhatsApp. That was it. Which doesn't even work very well on the desktop. (laughs) (laughs) There's that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I guess the other example would be if you're running like a a fancy home network, you can have it that it alerts you and asks for permission every time a strange device shows up. That's That's the principle of these privileges. Ideally speaking, nothing should come on your network without your permission realistically you're probably going to turn that into a notification instead of a request and you might even turn it off i'm glad to hear you say that because the uh Eero routers do that by by default and i thought oh this is great i'm gonna know if somebody gets on my network and you know what happens i get a notification that says yeah an unknown device got on your network here's its oh, back address yeah, don't know what it is 
no information. And so I just sit there going, yeah, okay, whatever. It, it never helps. I mean, actually, Lindsay uses it. She was, uh, when we drove down to her house the last time, she texted me. She says, oh, I see you've gotten to my house. I saw you show up on my Eero. Because because we are, we are named, right? Yeah, She's, exactly, because it knows about you. Yeah, And she said it was also like 16 things joined the network, you know, iPads and iPhones and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Oh, look, the amount of devices on our network doubled. I guess mom's arrived. <laughs> exactly. So as I say, it's a great principle to aim towards, but you know you're never going to do it perfectly. And don't, that's not the issue. The issue is your goal should be a good goal, which is, you know, don't needlessly give things more permission than they need, because then when they go wrong, they can do more damage than they need to. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. Okay. Uh, And then the other one is, is sort of a term that I've sort of coined. It's my way of describing a mindset, which I call being thinking defensively. And the reason I use the term is because an old school friend of mine's dad was a fireman. And one of the things that really pinged in my head was him describing to me how they had to do a special driving course called defensive driving before they were allowed to drive the fire truck. Okay. And what it teaches them to do is to always assume their fellow road users will do the dumbest thing possible and be ready to react before they do. So if there's a car making a turn across your lane, so for us there will be a car making a right-hand turn, for you a left-hand turn, and you're not sure if they've seen you, the body language isn't quite right, you're not quite sure, assume they haven't. If a ball rolls out on the street, assume there is a kid about to follow. Because there probably is. So slow down in advance. Right. right. You know, I, I always ha- watch have uh, the snow shovel. I always watch uh, old people cross the street. Watch how many times they look left and right and left and right and stare down cars. That's how they got to be old people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so when you translate that into computer world, I think it comes down to two things that you need to do is think ahead to what's likely to go wrong. And plan for it. And so, and the other one is, the other one I'm very, very passionate about is turn your assumptions into explicit controls of some kind. So when you're programming, that's usually a bunch of if statements, but it can also be other things, right? So if you're writing a function and you assume that the second argument is always a number between zero and four, well, stick an if statement that says, if the number is less than zero or greater than four, throw an exception. And you can even give it the wonderful error, this should never happen, which I do. The amount of times I see the phrase, this should never happen in the logs, is kind of dis- disturbing. This is something Bert and I talk a lot on programming by stealth, for those of you who don't listen, is that I am virtually unable to predict what dumb things somebody else might do. I'll show Bart my code and he'll say, well, what if they put an emoji in? And I'll say... Why would they do that? <laughs> well, they could, right? You didn't tell them not to. You didn't make it so they couldn't. And I, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I think this is what I would do. But don't think... So you're thinking in terms of all the wrong things that are possible, but flip that logic on its head. You're assuming, or you want the variable to contain a thing. So don't check for all the things you don't want it to ah. be. Check to make Check sure that it's that it is what you want. you want it to be. And then you don't have to have as much imagination. 
I like it. Bing, bing, exactly. Like so it. take your okay. assumption and replace it with an explicit control. I'm assuming this is a number between zero and four. Don't check if it's an emoji or check if it's a fraction or whatever. False. Just check that it really is between zero and four. And okay. if it's anything else, you're cranky. So if you have a server that you're assuming is only ever accessed by people in the finance department, stick a firewall in front of it so only the people in the finance department can see it. You have okay. taken an assumption and you've replaced it with a control. Oh, that's a, that's really good. That example, that's that's perfect. Okay. And the other very common, you know, you've you've all these, you know, and sometimes you can't replace it. A control doesn't have to be something that blocks. It can also be something that reports. So a lot of controls that I have running with my work hat on are automated alerts that go off when one of my assumptions is broken. So that's not always a sign of catastrophe. That's a sign of I need to look into this. So the classic one is a notification for out-of-hours SSH logins. Huh. Sometimes the excrement hits the spitty thing and we have to log in out-of-hours. That sucks. And we get spammed by an email the next morning saying we did. No harm, no foul. But if we didn't come in late because it was a problem and there's an email waiting for us saying someone logged in as root to this server at four in the morning, well, gosh darn, it's good to know that, isn't it? Yeah. Has it ever gone off? Thankfully, so far, they have all been false positives. Okay. But actually, no, that's not... That one has always been false positives. Um, but... <laughs> okay. This wasn't with my work hat on for the place that you find me working if you Google me. Okay. But with your other but work... But this is work I was doing for someone else. Okay. But there was an assumption that there were normal places to SSH from. And so the log of SSH connections really should only contain from addresses of a bunch of known subnets. It was about 20 subnets. Okay. And so I set up an automated rule that would ping us if there was an unexpected SSH connection. Uh, and SSH can either be with a password or with a key. So there were a bunch of exceptions for the key-based ones because those are automated systems, not human beings. And what we discovered by putting the control in was that a whole bunch of not-so-good developers had hard-coded root passwords into scripts. Oh, so you got the notification because the script was running. Yeah, it wasn't oh. a key-based login. So it was being treated as a person login. It's like, why on earth is root logging in from there at two in the morning? <laughs> and oh, the look, spankings we, began. <laughs> and pretty much, yeah. It's like, oh, what, 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 what is this sitting here in scheduler? You know, myjob.bat. <laughs> oh, look, it's calling putty, minus minus password. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so th- really that is replacing an assumption with a control. The control in this case is just a notification, but that can be immensely powerful. So maybe. whenever you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's always just Bob. Mm. Maybe put something in place to make sure that's true. Right, right. Maybe the uh, when the excrement hits the spinny thing, that email notification should go to your boss to show them that you're working in the middle of the night. <laughs> Unless it's <laughs> to fix some email. mistake you made. <laughs> yes, yeah, it swings in roundabouts. Be careful what you wish for sometimes. So I really do... 
I am very vigilant of assumptions. I, I keep an eye out for things I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are implicit, so you miss them. You can miss them for years and then realize you've made an assumption. And then once you realize you've made an assumption, you should do something to cement that into a control. Be it a proactive block or the writing of an error message or the sending of a notification, turn it into something concrete because you're probably going to thank yourself for it later because most assumptions turn out to be wrong. Hmm. An example with home people would be, I'm assuming that my family's smart enough to hit update this time. (laughs) Yeah, but every now and then when you go to visit, just borrow your mom's phone and make sure that it doesn't say 52 in a big red circle (laughs) over the cog icon, say. Right, right. (laughs) Just don't know why that example came to mind. (laughs) I would have thought it would have been 42. (laughs) Buy her a new phone if it takes too long. (laughs) Well, no, it's because you haven't done it since the last time I was home and there's been a pandemic. (laughs) Anyway, let's, let's wrap up with a very important point that we think we sort of already hinted at. But basically, I think that if you are the pet, your pocket nerd, you need to spread the word. And it doesn't actually matter whether it's within a family environment or a work environment. You just need to talk about security stuff, like you say, so that it's just in the air. It will sink in. And it's very important that it's in people's sort of background memory, because what you're doing is you're very slowly, but nonetheless constantly building up their spidey sense. And you don't need to build them up to be IT experts. You just need to get it to the point where their spidey sense goes, I should ask someone. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That's odd. I should ask someone. You know, that's odd. I should just check. And that's enough, right? Just getting people to go, huh, and stop. Right, right, right. Not not push through, stop. And that is going to make such a big difference in any organization, be it your family or be it work. It's huge. And so we all they need stop to be... or not is, is a function of how you react when they it do It is, act. right, because you, like, like, you're training them, right? If your reaction every time they ask you a dumb question, I'm using all the air quotes on planet Earth, <laughs> is to scoff right. and to belittle. Or be annoyed. And to roll your eyes, yeah. Well, they're just going to not tell you in future. They're still going to do it. And right. you're still going to have to pick up the pieces. <laughs> the thing I really like to do is is just shower them with happiness when they ask a question. Uh, Steve's dad is probably the, one of the most secure people on earth. Within his capabilities, he is. He is. He will always call us. He will always send us. Steve's taught him to make screenshots now. So he sends us a screenshot saying, what is this? What am I supposed to do? What is it telling me? And... Every once in a while, it's something that kind of gives you pause, but most of the time, it's a false positive. It's, no, this is fine. This is expected. And he wants an explanation, but we always tell him, you are so good at this. This is this is a superpower that you have, that you are paying attention to this. Yeah. And so I would say that you should be a security evangelist and think Guy Kawasaki, whose actual job title was Apple Evang- or was Mac Evangelist at Apple, right? And he does a podcast now. He's such a fun person. He's just this beaming, smiling, happy person who is always willing to give you a constructive suggestion and to help people. Mm. And if you could be that person about security in your family or your workplace, you are doing so much good because 
if you moralize at people, if you make it into a, you're bad because you don't have a good password, well, you're just going to make people feel bad, but they're not going to do anything. They're not going to change anything. I tell them a story of something dumb I did. You know, you think that's bad. You should have seen what I did. You know, here's how I lost $200 on my Skype account because I didn't change my password when I changed all the other ones. Yeah. Anyone new starting in work, no, I can promise you you'll hear the story if you start work and you're, you express nervousness to me. I promise you I will tell you about the day I deleted every single computer from Active Directory <laughs> and tested our backups, which worked. Like, that puts people at ease to the point where they can then... Like, I'm not going to do anything that dumb. <laughs> right, but it means that they can come to you and ask, is it okay if? Right, right. That's so much better than them being afraid to ask... They don't want to and then coming to you going, I just did, and I think I probably shouldn't have. The other thing I so, like to tell people is, is to, in anything with technology, people always come to you and say, I'm stupid about this. I'm dumb about this. I'm not good at technology. And it, and it, it drives me crazy because I don't run around saying I'm, I'm an idiot about roses, but I couldn't, I couldn't grow a rose if you held a gun in my head. I don't know what they're for. I don't know how to do it. Dirt, right? Water. I don't know. What else do you do? Maybe you clip them once in a while. I have no clue. I haven't, I haven't actually ever hung a picture in my own house. There's all these things I don't do, but I don't feel like an idiot. I just lean on people who know how to do those things. And so what I like to tell them is, is when it gets into the technology thing is to understand that it's a giant chain of happiness of people reaching down and pulling up the person below them and knowing something. And Every person I help has people they help. Even if they come to yeah. me and say, I'm bad at this. It's like, no, didn't you just to- tell me that your friend Sally was having trouble and you helped her do something? So no, you're just the next person in the chain. That's all it is. And I tell him, I said, I talked to Bart, right? Bart's the one who's pulling me up on the other side. And that's that's just where we all are. We're in this continuum and we help each other. That's a really nice way to think of it, actually. Yeah, everyone just pays it forward and we all do better. Right, right, exactly. But I have had I guess people, the, the people who, by the way, the people who don't do what Bart's saying, the people who do frown at you and scoff and roll their eyes, they're usually the people who don't know what they're doing as much as the, the ones who really know what they're doing. They don't do that. It's like. That is very true. Their ego is, is too big to see what they don't know and they cover it up. Yeah. It, it, that's always been my opinion. I, that has generally borne out. They're, they're compensating for something. Mm-hmm. The fact that they haven't a bloody clue. <laughs> uh, right, right. And I guess the, the, the other thing, so, you know, be the evangelist, be the helpful person. And what you're really hoping is that you can, especially in a work environment, but I think this counts in a family environment too, get people into the habit, see something, say something. Hmm. I would rather have a hundred people tell me about something odd that I can just say, yeah, don't worry about it, that's okay, then have one person see something and not tell me. Uh, And then the next thing we know, so if they had said something, we might have seen the very first toehold of a ransomware attack. Usually, ransomware these days is in your network for two weeks before Mm. they hit the button that detonates and encrypts everything. They spent two weeks figuring out what to encrypt, what order to do things in, Mm. where your backups are so they can sabotage those first, Mm. and then they hit the button. That's two weeks where they are going to make little mistakes. If you have people in the habit of see something, say something, 
there's a really good chance someone notices something weird and says something and you check it out and realize that there's a login you weren't expecting. There's a bit of known malware in there. There's a key logger. There's something. Just something that makes you go, hmm. Yeah. You dig in a little bit deeper and lo and behold, you find them and you can stop them in their tracks. But if no, if everyone's afraid to say anything, all those little inevitable clues will go completely unreported. They weren't missed. They're just unreported. And the first IT will know about it is when everything has exploded. I wonder and everyone whether is basically it's, going home. <laughs> I wonder if it's possible uh, or something to do in a company. If I was in a company today, I basically just boss Steve around now. But if I was in a uh, in a larger environment, whether there's a way to have some sort of reward system for people who bring things to your attention. You know, keep keep a bunch of little mini M&M bags at your desk or something, you know, and, and, you know, thanks for bringing that to my attention. Nope, nothing to worry about. You know, just some sort of little rewards for that. I wonder, could you have like some sort of security mascot as a little desk toy? <laughs> and the, the latest person who uh, gets the gets the, the desk toy? <laughs> well, not, no, don't just have one, just buy a crate of them. Oh. And, you know, maybe a little, one of those little things to squeeze for stress or something with some sort of fun slogan on it or something. And make, make turn it into a badge of pride that you got given a vigilance ball or whatever you're going to call it. Oh, vigilance. Oh, I like it. Who was it in Harry Potter that said Mad- every present vis- vigilance? Mad-Eye Moody. Some sort of, yeah, actually, little Mad-Eye Moody. Little Mad-Eye Moody. Moody. Make a perfect <laughs> stress toy. <laughs> But I just, you know, even if it's a, a, a thing on your website, your your IT website that has people's names listed that, you know, these people brought something to our attention, you know, it just, I don't know if that could be gamed or whatever, but I would think it, it matters. It does matter. I, I think badges are all, the, all are all the rage at the moment. So if you had their company profile had, you know, a vigilant user badge Ooh. or something, you know, just a, a free coffee, right? Yeah. Anything. Yeah. You yeah. know? And ideally something that other people can see, because that doesn't just make that one person into a better person, but they then become like this little radiation point of more awareness because everyone's like, oh, where'd you get the cool T-shirt or where'd you get the cool sticker or where'd you get the cool badge? Right. It's like, oh, I just told IT about this weird thing and they were really happy about it. It's like, oh, OK, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I like my M&M's idea, but... <laughs> I do. There is a lot to be said for M&M's. Because you can buy a lot of little tiny M&M's things for not much money. Those t-shirts, they they cost a lot of money. That's true. Am I misremembering that you can get custom custom lettering on M&M's these days? That you can like make know. them do you a custom M&M? Which, instead of saying M&M, it says whatever you want. <laughs> Vigilance and little tiny letters. <laughs> yeah. You know, or the little icon or something. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be an emoji of a hacker or something. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it is the uh, you catch more flies with honey theory that my fa- father always talked about, right? If you if you exactly. beat if you beat them for it, it it's not going to encourage the behavior you want. Yeah, that that that's it in a nutshell. So basically, you know, be Guy Kawasaki. Don't be oh, what's that Westboro Baptist Church guy who was always telling everyone they're evil and going to hell? Oh, like, <laughs> not that. Fred Phelps. Don't be Fred Phelps. Be Guy Kawasaki. <laughs> okay. And, you know, so as I said, I just want to sort of round it back out by saying, you know, it's, by all means, you know, encourage everyone. That's really important. But you, as the pet nerd, stay curious because we live in a world that changes all the time. And you can look at that as a chore 
or you can look at that as fun. And if you look at it as fun, you're probably going to be better off because it's going to keep changing anyway. So you may as well just have fun along the way. You're never going to know everything, but you're always going to learn something. So just have fun. There you go. That's actually a, has been great. I think this has been really fun. I feel like I always judge how well we did together interacting on a topic by how much I've been smiling and my, I'm smiling a lot because this is, all of this made sense. And it seems like it's a a positive perspective instead of a, you know, cranky, oh, the world is doomed kind of perspective. And I, and I like that a lot, Bart. Well, good. And the fact that I'm, I've I've outdone your stabbing knee pains makes me feel even better. (laughs) All right, Bart. We'll, uh, I don't know when we'll talk again, but we'll talk again, maybe tomorrow. But it, hypothetically, we're recording again tomorrow, so fingers crossed, because I have a whole bunch of security news of my RSS reader I'm dying to tell you about. All I don't right. know what it is yet, because I haven't read it, but there's loads of it. <laughs> All right. Anyway, good, until then, whenever it is, uh, happy computing. Let's end on that one. Could have used either one of my catchphrases, couldn't I? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.